Well, we're going to conclude our series called Flourish through the book of 1 Thessalonians, so you can open your Bibles to the fifth and final chapter of 1 Thessalonians, and we are going to uh, look at uh, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, certainly one that um, I have thought long and hard about uh, many different ways and many different times. Um, there's a, a good chance that if, if you were baptized and uh, I wrote on the back of your baptism picture or if I sent you a, a card or if I signed the flyleaf of your Bible, there's a good chance that these verses are underneath my signature. I oftentimes put these verses depending on the context, underneath something that I signed. They're just that important to me. And if you've ever uh, visited with me in my office, you would know that these are the passages that are up on my wall, big and bold, so that you cannot miss them when you walk into the room that I spend uh, the greatest amount of time in, uh, in, of any room in this world. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 Verses 23 and 24. The Apostle Paul prays for this amazing people in Thessalonica, this church that we have seen uh, in the midst of persecution and struggle and trial and pressure. They have flourished. And if you remember that as we've spent these months going through this book, what we've seen is that uh, this is the story of a people, but it's a reminder to us that our lives are telling a story. And we were able to follow from the beginning as God changed their setting and brought the gospel into Thessalonica. And we were able to take that into our own lives and realize there was a moment where God changed our setting and brought the gospel into our lives. And then as we went through this book, we've seen that once our setting has changed, we now make decisions within that setting that will determine the context of our story. The story that your life will tell will be based upon, the context of that story will be based upon the decisions you make in the setting in which God has placed you. And so as a people, God has placed us here in this setting together. And so we are His tribe, if you will, and He has given us this life to spend and invest in one another and to live for His glory. And each of us every day makes choices that impact to what degree we will be used. And it will make perfect sense to you at the end of today that this would be exactly what Paul would pray at the end of this. Every single thing that I have said in this entire series from this book, everything has always had this prayer in the back of my mind knowing that we were careening towards it as we got to the end. So let's read together 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, for He who calls you is faithful, and He will do it. What a beautiful, amazing passage. And yet, so oftentimes, uh, I think the reason why I want to remind myself of this every day, I want the people that I'm talking to to be reminded of this. The reason why I think 
the Scripture records this prayer in this book, in this context, in this fashion is because so oftentimes people don't experience this prayer in their lives. I remember when my children were small, um, it was in the season where the dollar store first appeared. And, uh, you know, I remember when the first dollar store opened up in Gulfport. It wasn't even a chain. It was just a store. And I think that the, the name of the store was Everything's a Dollar. And I remember the first time that I walked in there, um, and, and it's hilarious because then I noticed that everyone else did the same thing. It was new concept. And so I walked in, and there's a guy behind the counter, and I said, Sir, excuse me, is everything a dollar? You know, and I mean, I'm thinking this guy is like, moron, did you read the sign? It's called everything. But I mean, I just couldn't get my head around um, that everything's a dollar. And so what was beautiful about this whole concept was that uh, you know how I feel about shopping. But, but hey, there's one thing that I'm uh, so passionate about that it will force me to do things that maybe I don't want to do. And that is saving money. So here's what I'd, I'd my kids would... Uh, what, for whatever reason, something be going on and be, you know, so they were going to get uh, a reward or a toy or something. So I'd take them to the everything's a dollar store. And I would say, now, kids, listen up. Dad's about to make a big announcement. You can get anything you want in this whole store. Just go in there and just look around and get anything you want. And they're like, really, Dad? And they'd go in there. Whoa. You know, they don't have any concept of money. They don't know the difference. But hey, it was a wonderful thing. Well, then, uh, maybe a year or so you know, down the line, I remember it was, uh, I believe it was Kayla's birthday. And for her birthday, she had gotten some money. And so we were going to take her shopping. And she had, you know, like $40 or $50, which might have been a million for her, right? So here she has this $50. And so Lisa and I are like, well, honey, you know, you got this birthday money. We're going to take you shopping. So she's all excited. So we get in the car. We're going to go. So where do you want to go? I want to go to the dollar store. I'm thinking we're about to have a trunk full of junk here. You know what? 50 things, you know, and so I'm trying to talk her out of this. I'm going, honey, you really don't want to go to the dollar store. And then as I'm talking her out of this, I'm realizing I'm the one that's talked her into this. See, the reason she thinks the dollar store is so great is because I've convinced her that it's so great. Now that she actually has money and could buy something great, she wants to go to where dad has convinced her is great. Now, here's my point. There's a lot of people walking around. A lot of Christians today, they don't know what they have. They don't know what they have in Christ, and they don't know how to spend it. They don't realize the gift this life is in Christ, and they don't know how to spend it. So what happens is we become followers of Jesus, and spiritually speaking, we're still shopping in the dollar store. That's what Paul's praying here. He's, he's praying this prayer that is reminding all of us that we're we're all a work in progress. We're all under construction, if you will. We're being made into something. We're not yet what we will be, but we're not also what we used to be. 
We're in this process. And you see, if, if you're a genuine follower of Jesus, then you already know the reality is, is that every day we're changing. We don't stay the same. We're changing every day. And God is moving us. And, and it's, it's, like, it's like watching a plant grow. You can't tell from one day to the next. But in chunks of time, like when you look for several weeks or for a month or certainly for a year, you can definitely see the difference. Christians are the same way. Those who possess the Spirit of God within them are changing every day. Now, there is a big contingency of people in our culture today that want to be Christians. They want salvation without change. And that's another sermon for another day. But that certainly is not at all what we're talking about today. So get your uh, listening guide out. And I will tell you in advance that it would be good to keep your pen handy. There's going to be a lot of information that you can write down today that's not going to be necessarily a blank on your piece of paper because I could have made the handout, you know, two pages long today. So there's a lot of things that would be worth your while to write down. They may not be blanks on your listening guide. So number one, we're going to ask the question, who is changing me? If I'm changing every day, who's changing me and how is this working? And the answer to that question is the God of peace, according to Paul in 1 Thessalonians. The God of peace is the one who's changing us. Notice how he begins in, chapter, in verse 23. He says, now may the God of peace himself. Now this is a very important statement because Paul could have begun with a multitude of things. He could have said, may the God of power himself. He could have said, may the God of authority himself. He could have said, may the God of wrath, may the God of grace. He could have said all sorts of things. May the God of patience, may the God, I mean, think of all the ways Paul could have addressed or utilized the character and nature of God. But with regards to what he's talking about, he very specifically says, the God of peace, the God of shalom. You see, here's the truth, and the truth is, is that Paul is pressing in this prayer that only God can make us whole. Only God can resolve or mend or renew or rebuild the broken things that are within us. And so it is true that you can, you can exercise and you can improve your body or you can study or read and improve your mind, but none of those things are going to make you whole. None of those things are going to make you right. None of those things are going to make you who you're meant to be or what you're supposed to be. Only God can do that. And so what I believe Paul wants us to gain and what the Lord wants us to understand this morning is that God's peace makes us whole. God's peace makes us whole. And this is a truth that is so often overlooked or discounted. You see... Sin has impacted the totality of who we are. That there's not a facet of, of our being that hasn't been impacted or tainted or tarnished or dented by the impact or influence of sin around us. It's in our mind, it's in our body, it's in our soul. They're all broken and they need to be healed and we need wholeness. And so Paul is pressing in on us when he introduces this prayer and he says now may the God of peace himself he's saying that God is the definition 
of peace. God is the author of peace. He's the giver of peace. To have peace, God's going to do it. That's why he says the God of peace himself. It's not a cooperation between me and you and the God of peace. No, peace comes only through God. Now, let's talk about peace for a minute. Let's try to understand why it's so often confused or misunderstood or even overlooked or marginalized. We tend to think of peace as the absence of conflict. We tend to think that, well, when there's peace, there's just no conflict. But that may be partially true and certainly true maybe in a secular physical sense. But in the Scripture, peace is much more than just the absence of conflict. Let me give you a definition. Peace is the natural state of being between the Creator and the creation. Peace is what existed in the Garden of Eden prior to sin entering the equation in Genesis chapter 3. In other words, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were naked, exposed, they were fully known yet fully loved, fully comfortable with God, fully at one, there was peace. That's the way God meant it to be. Peace is the natural state of being between the Creator and His creation, between the, the, the God of the universe and those who bear His image. So God is the maker of all things. He's the maker of us. And everything that He's made, He's made with a purpose. And so if He's the Creator, and the Creator is, has made all things with a purpose, and He's made us then we obviously would understand that we're dependent upon Him for everything, including our life and breath, just our being. We're dependent upon Him. But see, we don't exist in this natural state of peace because sin has broken it apart, has tainted all the parts of our lives. And so now, we've become, we're unaccustomed to peace. You see, I don't have time to fully convince you of this, so I'm just going to pray that God will do it. We are a people who live in a time where we are most comfortable. Now, this is going to sound crazy, but it's so true. We are most comfortable in conflict. Conflict doesn't rattle us. Conflict is what we live in every day. It's what we deal with continually. We're comfortable in conflict. Peace, as God intended, freaks us out a lot of times. We, don't, we, don't, we wouldn't know what to do. We're, we're, we'd be, we're totally uncomfortable with that. Now, we can experience peace in this life, certainly. We, can't, we won't fully experience the peace that God naturally intended for us to experience until He resolves all this and we're with Him forever. But those who have gone before us, who are with the Lord right now, make no mistake about it, they're in perfect peace. But now, what hinders us from experiencing peace? When Paul prays this prayer and he says, Now may the God of peace... And he's about to say a whole bunch of important things. But what, what is he pressing in on with regards to peace? Why do we struggle so much with peace? Now, pay attention. I don't want to lose you here, okay? Here's what we do. 
we let this particular hindrance, this lie that we've believed that has inverted reality hinder our peace. And this is what it is. We look outside of ourselves. In other words, this is what happens. We exist in conflict which we're comfortable with. Now let's explore this conflict for a second. We've got all sorts of things. In other words, if, if I were to sit down with you and we were having a conversation and I were to start talking to you about peace and I would say, now, you know, it just doesn't seem to me like you're at peace. What, what's hindering you from, from being at peace? This is what you would say because this is what everyone would say. You would say, you would bring up, number one, it might be circumstantial conflict. You would say, the reason why I'm not at peace is because of my circumstances. You'd say, why I'm lacking peace is because things around me aren't as they should be. Maybe it's my job that's preventing me from having peace. Maybe it's my health that's preventing me from having peace. Whatever it is, there's something out there circumstantially that is bumping into what I think ought to be, and therefore it is thwarting my peace. Or we might say inner conflict. In other words, a lot of people would say, well, I'm not at peace because, you know, there are things about me that are broken. And because of things that I've done and, and things that, that, that uh, have happened to me that, that have made me feel in a way that is uh, bad. And so I'm ashamed or I'm struggling with anxiety because of, uh, of the things that are happening or, or insecurity. See, there's the reason I'm not at peace is because internally... There's these broken things that are going on inside of me. Or we'd say, I'm not at peace because of relational conflict. See, there's an there's a invitation in all of your bulletins to invite somebody to come to our marriage series that's going to start next week. So for four weeks, we're going to talk about Marriage, we're going to talk, it's going to be helpful for people who've never been married, who want to be married, people who are married, obviously, people who were married are going to be able to relate to things and be able to glean some things. It's going to be helpful for all of us. But here's the thing, all of us know people that are in relational conflict because it's rampant everywhere. And so you take that invitation, bring it to somebody, give it to them, and hopefully the Spirit of God will work and draw them to come. Or or there's a bunch of them out in the foyer on the information table. Get a stack of them and leave them on, you know, desks or chairs or places in public places and invite people to come. But here's what happens. You talk to somebody about, well, what's, what's hindering your peace? They say, well, it's relational conflict. In other words, I could be peaceful if my spouse would just do this. I could be peaceful if my kids would just do this. I, I would have peace if, if my coworkers weren't such a way. Or I, would, I could have peace if the people at my church weren't a certain way. See, there's, we, we look externally at relational conflict as the reason we don't have peace. So there's circumstantial conflict, inner conflict, relational conflict, and then there's God conflict. And this is sort of underlying in all the other ones and prominent in every area of conflict that we look externally. There's this God conflict. You see what happens is, is that when, when we're not at peace 
And since God created us to be at peace, we know something's wrong, but we don't know how to fix it. So we start looking at our circumstances or looking at our relationships or looking at our past or whatever the case may be. And then we get to the bottom of it and we realize what we, what we have is a God conflict. And so here's how we're going to solve it. We solve a God conflict in two ways. Either we make God to be like us. We change God into somebody he's not. We, we, we bend him around so that, so that he's like us. Or usually we, we walk into it where we think that, well, we, we just ignore the God conflict because we don't think God's doing a good job, which is us just saying we could do a better job. See, that things aren't the way they ought to be. Therefore, God's not doing what he should do. Therefore, I would do a better job of it. And we just change God into somebody that he's not. I was standing, uh, you know, uh, in a line earlier this week. And I'm standing there and there was a lady behind me. And uh, a man walked up to her and, you know, said, you know, hey, how are you doing? And started talking with her. And I wasn't eavesdropping. I'm just standing there, minding my own business. And the lady said, basically they struck up a conversation, and uh, the lady said, well, uh, the man upstairs is watching over me. And then she said, well, I just believe that when everybody's done doing what they're supposed to be doing, then he's going to take them out of this life. Hmm. I thought to myself, now that's an interesting theology. The man upstairs. See, when she said that, I kind of went, okay. You know, I mean, it, it was almost like using God's name in vain, almost. You just kind of like... Ooh. And then she said, well, I believe. So then I'm like, here we go. Well, I believe that when we're done doing what we're supposed to do, then the man upstairs is going to take us out of this light. This is what I'm talking about. You see, what we do is we just make up something about God. I mean, I don't even really know what that means, but I, but I know that that's not true because that's not what the Bible says. But the point I'm trying to make is that this is all over the place. People have just made up ideas about God because why? Why, when you hear somebody say something, they go, well, here's what I believe about God. And they tell you something, and it's totally unbiblical and not true. Why are they believing that? Because they believe that in changing God, it's going to bring them what? Peace. No one ever changes God into something they don't want Him to be that's worse for them. They change God into something that's somehow better than them. Those, you know, people tell me all the time, they say, well, I don't believe that God's upset with me for you know, living with somebody I'm not married to. Well, you can believe that all you want to, but it ain't going to make it true. I mean, you can believe anything you want to believe about God, but it's not going to change who God is. But all of that is because there's not peace. And so we're dealing with this God conflict by just trying to change God. And here's the thing. People, all of us know this. If we're, it's, it's hard for us to ignore circumstantial conflict. 
It's hard. If you're going through circumstantial conflict and I see you, you got a pouty face. You know you do. Just like I do if I'm going through it. If you've if you got inner conflict, same thing. If you've got relational conflict, I probably don't even have to ask you. You just walk up and go, pray for me. I'm struggling. Right? Yes. But when you have God conflict, nobody knows. You can't see that. We hide that. We just squelch it. God conflict, we just, we just camouflage it. And we just hold it inside. And so what happens is we have this conflict with the one God who is the God of peace. And so we're seeking something externally that only he can give us. Because he's the God of peace himself. That's why Paul didn't say, well, you and God are going to get to peace. Or there's going to be a cooperative effort. between." No, he said, may the God of peace Himself. You see, I told you I'm a fanatic about this passage. We haven't even got to what he's saying. I'm just telling you that's how he introduces it. So we got wrong circumstances, we got wrong relationships, we got all this inner conflict, and we've got God conflict. And so we're looking at, we're like, I'd have peace if it was for this, or I'd have peace if it was for that, or I'd have peace if it was for this. Now, What's the problem? I mean, let's just be honest. There's a whole, whole bunch of us in here this morning. I mean, let's be, be honest. It's only in your mind anyway, so don't lie to yourself. None of us even can hear you. Are you really at peace this morning? I mean, would you say to me, Pastor, i got to tell you right now, I am just really at peace. I don't think many people would say that. That's okay. There's a lot of days. There's more days that I say that than I say I'm at peace. But what is the problem? Is it our circumstances? Is it our inside conflict? Is it our relationship conflict? Is it our God conflict? You know what the primary problem is with our peace? Us. You're the problem. You are the primary problem with your peace. Not what's going on out. I'm not saying that the things out there, the conflicts out there aren't real. What I'm saying is, is that it's us first. The re, what, what Satan does is he tricks us into believing that everything else is the problem but us. And once you buy that lie then this prayer will not come true in your life. And so you see, whenever you... Well, it doesn't matter what problem you're facing. It doesn't matter how complex, how long you've been facing it, how, how uh, just you know, difficult it may seem to you to understand. If you come to that problem with the, re, with the, with the assurance, the, the knowledge in your heart... That you know what? The primary way that I'm going to get to peace is I'm going to have to address myself first. That I'm the problem. Because look at what... Now, 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 how do I know that? Because here's a people in Thessalonica who are under terrible persecution. And they have so much external conflict, it's not even funny. And 
the Scripture does not say, now may the God of peace Himself end your persecution. Now may the God of peace Himself make your life easier. May the God of peace Himself solve your relational conflict. May the God of peace Himself solve your inner wounds. He didn't say that. He says, may the God of peace Himself sanctify you. See? So if the who, number two, is how. How is He changing me? How is He changing me? Well, the way He's changing me is by sanctifying me. So Paul says, now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless. Oh, man, that's a lot. Now, don't you want that? I want to help us this morning. I want us to to just embrace this and say, Paul, wow. This is a good place for us to just pause for a second and sort some things out so that I'm not up here going on about sanctification. And some of you are sitting in here going, well, I am not really sure what that is because it would have never been a vocabulary word when you were growing up in school. There's three tenses, if you will, to salvation. There's three ways the Bible addresses salvation, and the best way to understand that is in three tenses. And so on your uh, handout, you see that in the past, you experienced justification. God saved you from the penalty of sin. The moment that you were saved, the very millisecond that God became your Lord and Savior, you were what the Bible calls justified. It's just a legal term that means you're not guilty. That means you're, you are forgiven, okay? And so in that moment, that's what happened. But here's the problem. The problem is, remember all those people running around, I said earlier, that want to have salvation but don't want to have change? Well, the problem with all of that is, the way that got started was they believed that justification was the, the end all of salvation. And that couldn't be further from the truth. That is the beginning, not the end. Anyone who thinks that justification is the end, well, of course it's going to be a disaster because that's not at all what the Bible teaches. So there's a past moment of justification where you're saved from the penalty of sin, you're forgiven. Then there's a present that we're experiencing sanctification right now. God is saving you from the power of sin. So we've been saved from the penalty at salvation and justification, but then it ushers us instantaneously into a process of a present journey of sanctification, which God is then saving us through this process from the power of sin. Now, it's little by little by little. In other words, you know this to be true, we just don't think about it. So quickly, the moment you got saved... Were you a better person? No. You were the same person, just saved. So yeah, you were were made new and had the Holy Spirit, and spiritually all these things changed, but but externally to where the rest of us, in that moment, nothing changed right there. But what happened? You began the process of sanctification, and so you're changing. And And the goal would be is that every day of our lives, we would gain more and more uh, freedom from the power of sin. Sanctification. So you've got a past tense, a present tense, and of course, 
in the future you'll experience glorification. You'll be saved from even the presence of sin. You see, glorification is the moment that takes place in a saved person's life when they take their last breath on this earth. Your last breath here instantaneously ushers you into your first breath in glory. And in glorification, there is no presence of sin. That's what makes uh, being with the Lord so wonderful. Is that all the broken things, all the existing in conflict that we have, all the circumstantial and internal and relational conflict that we have goes away because there is no more. So there's past, there's present, and there's future. So Paul here is talking to the Thessalonians. Now, they're already Christians, right? So he's not going to talk about justification. And he's already dealt with glorification because we already talked about the secret coming and the second coming of the Lord. He's talking about sanctification. And so he says the God of peace himself is going to sanctify you completely. And that's his prayer. And how is God going to do this? Understand me now. Sanctification is one of the most complex doctrines in all of Scripture. There's utterly and completely no way in one sermon, much less five sermons, we could deal with all the things that relate to sanctification. But we're not talking about all those. We're talking about this. And so what Paul wants us to see here, what God wants to show us this morning, is that God's peace is sanctifying. That's why he introduces God as the God of peace in this prayer. You see, peace, again, doesn't come from the absence of conflict. It comes in the natural relationship between creator and creation, the way God intended. So, God, obviously, is not merely interested in ending the conflict between us and Him. Right? Is that the purpose of salvation? Just to end the conflict? between? Because prior to being saved, we're enemies of God, the Bible says. Yes, we're under His wrath. So is God's plan just to end the conflict? Well, no, because if God just wanted to, if God decided, I just want to end the conflict between me and that which I've created. Well, that would take about two seconds. He wouldn't have to send a son. There wouldn't need to be a cross. There certainly wouldn't be a resurrection. There would just be, be obliteration. The Bible would be one sentence. He made them. They rejected him. And he killed them. But that's not what it says. So there must be more that he wants to do than just resolve the conflict between us and him. No, God has a goal. He created us with a purpose. And so his purpose is that we would glorify him. And that his glory would be on display in our lives. How? As the God of peace. As we walked in peace. And as he sanctifies us. As we grow in our. Uh, as sin's power shrinks in our life. Or we grow in our freedom over sin. We glorify him. Well, how are, So that when you meet somebody who's walking in sanctification. And you go wow they're just such an amazing person. And how do they. And then you think well that's what I want. Or many of us in the room came to Christ because we met somebody that God was sanctifying. And we were like, wow, that's what I, I, I want that in my life. That's what my problem is. I've spent my whole life looking externally, trying to find out all the things that were wrong around me and trying to find peace. And what I needed was I needed God, the God of peace himself, to sanctify me. So God's answer to the conflict between 
us and him is what? He sends his son. He doesn't just end the conflict. He does something different. He sends his son. Now, why would he do that? Now, understand, we're the problem. We've already established that, right? Remember I said that? Who's the problem with our peace? We are, right? So we've been looking externally and saying the problem with our peace is out there when what God wants us to do is say, no, the problem with our peace is in here. But now, when we're looking externally, we say, let me tell you why I don't have peace. It's because of you and because of this and because of that. And so, well, how do we solve the peace? Internally, we say, so because you won't do this and they won't do that and this won't change the way I want it to be, I'm going to do something about it. And what happens? No peace. God comes along and says, no, no. When we rightly flip it around the way it's supposed to be and say, I'm the reason I don't have peace. Now, how do I get peace? I don't look inside me. I need something outside of me, don't I? Yes, because I don't have the capacity to give myself peace, do I? Do you have the capacity to live in the natural relationship with the Creator the way you were supposed to? Well, of course you don't. So in reconciling the conflict, God sends His Son because we need something external to us to resolve the conflict. Now we're all starting to see what's going on here, right? The source is internal. The solution is external instead of the other way around. So God takes our defeat in the conflict upon Himself on the cross. Because, see, we need victory, but we can't do that. So God sends His Son. His Son is victorious on our behalf on the cross. Then He gives us His victory in the resurrection. Amen? So He takes our defeat on the cross. He gives us His victory in the resurrection. And then what is this victory He gives us? It is a total and utter and complete victory. And He brings now the potential. He brings now the the process for us to walk to come to peace so we can begin to experience peace now because God has resolved all the problems that were plaguing us. So, we, we, still, we still revert back, don't we? We could sit here and we can think about this and we go, that is so true. That is exactly what happens. And then next week, you'll catch yourself, mark my words, you'll catch yourself trying to produce your way into peace. All right, I'll just convince you. I can tell you're looking at me like I'm not so sure. Fine. Here's what you're going to do. Some of you are going to try to earn your way into peace. See, some of you, maybe you're in a hole financially, so you feel like if you can work hard enough or make some extra money or get out of this slump financially that you're in, you're going to find peace. But that's what we're thinking. Or some of you are thinking, well, you know what? If I, I'm just going to, uh, if I could just resolve these uh, uh, relations, I'm going to get a new job and I'm going to finally have peace. No, you're not. It might be more peaceful than your other job, but that's not the peace I'm talking about. I'm talking about the natural intended relationship with the Creator peace. I'm talking about the peace that passes all understanding peace. I'm talking about a peace that will make you flourish in the midst of, of hostility and persecution and struggle and 
pain and yes, that. That's what I'm talking about. But we are so self-reliant that even though we might in a headway understand these things, we will regress back to trying to produce our way into peace. And listen to me. God's will for you, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, is your sanctification. That's His will for you. That's not your will for you. That's His will for you. You're not going to produce your way into peace. It's not going to happen. The only way you're going to find peace is through sanctification from the God of peace. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to sit on the couch and eat Twinkies and God's just going to all of a sudden bring peace into your life. That ain't how that's going to go. But we're getting there. But I just want you to understand that the source is internal, it's us. The solution's external, it's Him. And that what God has resolved the conflict that we have with Him, not by just eliminating the, the problem, but by sending His Son and resolving it and giving us the victory in it so that we then would be able to prosper and flourish. See, in a nutshell, if you were wondering, so well, what is sanctification? Sanctification, in a nutshell, you could say would be it's me gradually looking more and more like Christ. Just every little baby step along the way. I say this all the time. It's just baby steps. The Christian life is baby steps. Just baby steps along the path. More and more like Jesus. So this external conflict that we're in. God is over all that. And he resolves all that through the saving work of Jesus. And then he changes all that through sanctification. Through the, through the, the grace that Jesus brings on the cross. Through this process. So we've got the who, the God of peace. The how, sanctification. Now let's put all these pieces together. The when. When. When will he be finished? See, when is he going to be finished changing me? When, is he going to, when, when, am, I going to be, uh, when am I going to be finished on this process of, of sanctification? Well, you're going to be finished when you meet Jesus. Look at what he says. He says, so the God of peace himself may sanctify you. And then he says, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see... God is telling you and me that He's going to keep working on us. He's going to keep refining us. He's going to keep just making us little baby steps at a time, more and more like Him, every day of our lives until this life is over. There's no, he doesn't quit or give up or stop. We never get to the end. We never, it's always, as long as there's breath in our lungs, we're being sanctified by the Lord. So it ends. Well, when either one of two things happens. Either Jesus returns or we die. One or the other. Either Jesus returns or we die in Christ. That's when our sanctification ends. Now, let's be clear. There is a huge difference. A huge difference between faultless and blameless. Those are completely different things. You see, I don't want you to think that what I'm talking about here or what Paul, Paul's praying for here is that, 
you know, you're going to be faultless. Oh, no. He said blameless. Faultless means you haven't done anything wrong. None of us is going to stand before God having done nothing wrong. None of us is going to live a day of our life without doing something wrong. We're not talking about faultless. We're talking about blameless. You know what blameless means? Blameless doesn't mean you haven't done anything wrong. Blameless means you've been pardoned for all that you've done wrong. And that's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. And so none of us are faultless, but we'll stand before God blameless in Jesus Christ. What a great truth that is. You see, Paul uses this terminology to let us know that as we're changing every day and as we're growing, listen, we're not going to ever be perfect until we're done here. Glorification is when that's going to take place. And so every day you can, you can say to yourself, well, today is a day that God's given me to live. And it's an opportunity that I have to grow in sanctification. It's an opportunity that you have to grow in your Christ-likeness. Now, you can cooperate with sanctification or you can push against it. And one of the main ways that we push against it is by walking around looking externally for all the reasons why we don't have peace. You show me somebody who is always blaming everybody else for everything that's wrong in their life, and it's always somebody else's fault, and their circumstances are always, you know, they got the Eeyore complex. It's always going to be bad. And guess what? Sanctification is just strangled in their life it's just choked out in fact what happens is they they begin to what we know from just life experiences is that God then begins to shift see he never stops sanctifying us so then what he starts shifting us and oftentimes the very things that we're blaming for our lack of peace what happens the flame heats up under him doesn't it yeah that's what happens because why? Because a loving father wants you to know that that thing is not the main issue with your lack of peace. And so how's he going to help you figure that out? He's just going to keep allowing that thing to... Fat. He doesn't make it worse. He just leaves it alone. It's going to get worse. Trust me. If you go home every day and you think your spouse is the problem, your marriage will never do anything but get worse. If you wake up every day and go to a job and you think all of them are your problem, it's never going to get better. It's only going to get worse. Whatever you're projecting as your lack of peace is only going to fester and grow and get worse and worse and worse. If you think your kids, if you think your past, listen, there's tons of people walking around here. You're in bondage to their past. And it's idolatry. You're worshiping at the altar of your pain. Instead of at the throne of the grace of God. By saying the reason that I don't have peace is because this has happened and that's happened and this and that. No. The first and foremost reason that we lack peace is us. Me and you. We are, that. listen, the, the God of the universe who saved you and who is sanctifying you is, are you telling me that that God is at the mercy of your circumstances or your past or your relationships? 
Well, of course you wouldn't say that. But you act like it. People act like it every day. Now that you say it like that, Pastor, it does kind of make sense. Well, sure it does. Have you been behaving in such a way as to what you're really saying with your actions is, is that your job is so bad that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords could not give you peace there? Are you telling me that your hurts and your heart are so bad that the God who sits on the throne of heaven cannot heal those and give you peace? Are you telling me that your marriage is so broken that God cannot fix it, restore it, raise it up for His glory? What, what are we saying here? Don't you see? I'm not saying that any of those things aren't true. What I'm saying is, is that we have to start by addressing us. Sanctification is the key. It starts right here. We own it. We say, you know what? If I lack peace, if I know Jesus... And he's the God of peace. And I live in this world and I lack peace. Then the first and foremost problem is me. Then you're on your way to beginning to cooperate with a sanctifying process. And peace will begin to enter into your life. Now let's talk about this for a minute. Notice... Every, the, the thing that astonishes me about these two verses is that verse 23 is like this, this uh, it's like looking into a kaleidoscope, you know, and when, every time you, you twist it, it begins, it shows new colors and new shapes and, and you get this new facet and, some, and a new beauty. That, that's what verse 23 is. I mean, it's just so, you, you can look at it from every different angle, and it, and it just is so amazing from so many different sides. And the, and, and the reality that, that this is available to us, and the, the possibility that this situation and circumstance can, is right there for us. But here's the thing, it's almost like the Bible saying, God wants you to know, I know, I know what you're thinking when you read verse 23. You're thinking... That is just too much. It's, just, it's, it's too good to be true. It can't be, it, it can't be true for me. This is why Paul says your, your spirit, soul, and body, because he wants you to know that it's so total. This peace, this sanctification is so complete that it's every facet. Yeah, there's no way to wiggle out of it and say, well, yeah, God can give me peace about this, but he can never give me peace about that. No, no. But when you get to the end of 23, you just like have to take a deep breath and think, is that really, is that really what's true? Is that really what God's saying? And that's why verse 24 is there. Because God will always finish what he starts. Always. And so Paul says, for he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. You see... To the unsaved person, this is all just a, a bunch of words. So it doesn't apply. It's not, it's not talking to you. You're not being sanctified because you've never been justified. The God of peace does not dwell within you. But for every saved person, you see, he's saying, listen, 
If He called you, if you're saved this morning, no matter what Mount Everest your external conflict seems like it is, no matter how insurmountable, no matter how long you've been enduring it, no matter how impossible it is for you in human wisdom to resolve something, in light of all of that, he's saying, listen, the one who called you is faithful and he will do it. It's a guarantee. He's saying for every saved person, sanctification is on the table for you. There it is. It's on the table. Now it's going to be, it's going to be leveraging in your life whether you resist it or whether you embrace it. But how it works in your life is going to be drastically different if you embrace it than it is if you reject it. But you can't stop it. It's going to keep working no matter what. So what we need to do is we need to think about this a minute. We need to think about this God who sees everything through to the end. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing. He who has begun a good work in us is, in, is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. You see, whatever he begins, he's going to do. We're in a process of being changed. The God of peace himself wants to sanctify you completely. And so this process of sanctification, this process of being made more like Jesus, none of us is there yet. But boy, we want peace. Boy, I want peace. If I'm the problem with peace... God's the solution to my problem with peace. Then what do I do? I mean, practically speaking, well, what do we, what's our part? How do we cooperate with this? Now, this is going to sound way too simplistic at first, but just let it settle over you. Your cooperation with God in sanctification. It revolves around your trust in Him. There's this link between your sanctification and your trust in God. You see, it's, to put it another way, it's, it's the degree to which we make ourselves fully available to God. The way we thwart sanctification is by trying to fix our own problems, is by trying to blame everything externally and look internally for the solution. The way we solve the problem and the way we progress in our sanctification is by opening up our lives, making them totally accessible to God, cooperating with Him and saying, God, I trust you. I trust you. Now let me ask you a question. If you had a tumor inside your body, Would you go to a surgeon, talk to the surgeon, find out the situation, hear all the details about the procedure, do the research, schedule the appointment with the surgeon for the surgery to happen for you to get the tumor removed, but then tell, tell the surgeon, well, there's one caveat to this operation. You can take the tumor out of me, but you can't touch me. 
You can't, you can't invade my body. You just you can remove the tumor. I want the tumor out, but you can't invade my body. Would you do that? Nobody would do that. If your, if your car were broken, would you take your car to a mechanic and say, Sir, ma'am, I, I, I need my car fixed. It doesn't run. Can you fix my car? Yes, we can fix. I need my car fixed so I can get to work. So please fix my car. I'll pay you to fix my car. You can just fix it, but don't touch my car. Well, of course you wouldn't. But that's exactly what we do to God. That is exactly what we do to God. We say, God, I want peace. I want to be sanctified. I want to grow like you. I want to change. I want to be what you want me to be. I want to do this and I want to do that. But then as soon as he goes to touch something, you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no. You can't touch that. You can't touch that. Why? Because I have developed this false sense of peace revolving around the fact that I am persecuted by my conflict. What do you mean? I mean... You ever seen situations where a woman's coming to church for years and years and years by herself? She's praying for her husband, praying for her husband, praying for her husband. Her husband will come to church. Her husband will get saved. She's praying for her husband. And then one day, God saves her husband. And buddy, he radically saves her husband. And then her husband embraces sanctification and starts changing like crazy. And the woman leaves the church and I never see her again. You know why? She built her peace she, she built her peace on being a martyr for this husband that wouldn't. But when God saved him and changed him, she didn't like who he made him. Now everybody understands what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. What happens is we build this, this false sense of peace and the reality that, that I've been broken inside, that things have been done to me that are so bad that I can never overcome them. They won't, won't change. I can't, I can't deal with them. And so we martyr ourselves on the altar of these things that are in our past that Jesus died to free you from, but you won't let go of them. And so when God tries to work, he can work in every area of your life, but he can't work in that life because the reality is you don't want to be free because you get your false sense of peace from that pain. Some of us exist. We exist. Your whole, you can't have a conversation with anybody without bringing up whatever your external conflict is. Every time you talk to anybody, you're talking about your relational conflict, your inner conflict, or your circumstantial conflict. And it's become your source of peace. And you won't let go of it. You don't trust God enough to say, here it is, God. Some of you want to be married. And so you take matters into your own hands. And you, you read your Bible, you come to church, you, you talk about Jesus, but when it comes to that you get very defensive 
because you've waited long enough and in your eyes God hasn't provided you somebody to marry yet and so you're frustrated with Him and you feel like you can do a better job than Him. And you strangle sanctification. You see, God made a promise. He's going to finish whatever He started. He's the God of peace. We all want peace. I want peace. I want to grow every day just like you. But listen to me. Is there somewhere in your life this morning that you're unwilling to open up your hand and give it to God? Because I'm looking around this room and I'm seeing a whole bunch of clenched up fists. Because I know you and I love you and I know things about you that you can't even dream that I know. And how do I know that? Because I pray for you. God put you on my heart. And the Spirit of God just begins to nudge me to pray for you in certain things that I don't even know are going on in your life until He shows me. And you say, well, I'm not really sure where I'm holding on. Okay, well, I'll tell you. It's where your conflict is. Where's your conflict? Jesus died to resolve that conflict. You see... It comes down to do you trust him enough to say, Lord, here it is. Here it is. Here's this conflict that I've been dealing with for so long. And I'm done. Make me like Jesus. Sanctify me completely. I'll never be faultless in this life. But blameless. Blameless. I don't want to walk around with unlimited funds in my pocket shopping at the dollar store. Mm -mm. That's not what God has for you either. Do you trust Him enough to give Him your conflict? You see, our trust in who God is, it leads us to who we are and to what we do. With regards to the book of 1 Thessalonians, I would say this. The story that your life tells in this setting that God's put you in is going to be determined by the degree to which you trust God. You can never trust God too much. Never. So will you today give Him your conflict? Thank God there was a day in my life where my conflict was I knew if I died, I was going to hell. 
And I gave him that conflict. And he gave me his victory. And now every day since that day is an opportunity for me to just keep handing over my conflict. And to stop looking externally and just look at my heart. You're my God and you're the God of peace. If I don't have peace, it starts here. Let's stand.